Real Talkers, good morning. It's uh, 8.30. Wow, Sam, we just we just snuck in, as a matter of fact. Sam and I, were we, we had kind of a relaxed vibe here going listening to Ayla Brooke and the Soundman coming through the studio speakers, and I looked down, and uh, luckily we technically went on air at 8.30, but it, but it is now 8.31 Mountain Time. Kind of, kind of a, I won't say lazy. It's not been a lazy morning, but but we're easing in in relaxed fashion, hitting the airwaves, so to speak, at 8.30 and 55 seconds Mountain Time. Thanks for joining us. It's already 10.30 for our friends tuning in in the Eastern Time Zones in the middle of the afternoon for some of our viewers, some of our audience members that are that are watching from uh, from Europe, for example, which is where our first guest is chiming in from uh, Tom Rackman in just a moment uh, from London. It's going to be a great show today. We've promised you we promised you an agricultural roundtable in the first three months of the show. We promised that we would get to those issues because the whole point of the show, we're not just it's not the type of show or if you're listening to this later in the day thank you it's this is not the type of podcast where we're simply knee-jerk reacting to news headlines all the time oh they're talking about the you know, you know the, the newsmakers with something shiny waving it and we're, we sort of <laughs> and run over to the shiny thing all the time uh-uh. uh, sometimes we'll take a look at and, and analyze and dig into and get behind the scenes on the news yeah and every once in a while our editorial team will ask the question what are we not talking about right now? What's going on? What's what's important for us to be keeping an eye on? And while it you know may be in your part of the world freaking freezing, Mr. Bagelsworth, right now, it's absolutely freezing and the ground is far from thawed and crop inputs are, are not something that the average civilian or city slicker is thinking about right now. It doesn't mean there's not a ton going on uh, behind the scenes. So we're going to hit ag from a few different perspectives i'm really looking forward to it Brittany hennig is a uh, a crop researcher uh she's a, a crop scientist basically she's going to take us into the work that she's doing uh over the microscope so to speak sean haney is the founder of real agriculture he's a host on on sirius xm he's got a, a real agriculture show there on rural Radio 147, you probably uh, listen to it if you're if you're tuning in on Sirius from time to time in the rural areas and wanting to stay in the know, you know who Sean Haney is. And then my good pal Jeff Noni from Lakeside Farmstead, uh, he and his wife Coralie and their entire family, they're they're yeah, they do the sort of the traditional stuff you'd expect, you know, kids are involved in 4-H and this, that and the other. But but they're also doing a ton of stuff. I mean, we'll get Jeff to talk about how they're using drywall offcuts to to, you know, create fertilizer and and uh, how their family overcame tragedy, a massive barn fire uh, a while ago. But they're rebuilding the the operation in a totally different direction. The innovation is mind blowing. They've just opened a cheesery. Uh, so, I mean, they're just doing amazing things. They've got Wagyu Holstein beef. I mean, people are just. You know, the lakeside name is is establishing itself based on some of the things that Jeff learned uh, making cheese in Quebec. He's now bringing it here to Western Canada. It's a great story. So so as you can tell, we've got a million angles that will hit ag from that's starting at nine o'clock today. uh, And we're very much looking forward to it. Plus, based on our conversation yesterday with Cameron Hughes, the king of cheer, we have a Jersey auction that's going on right now. This is uh, kind of I guess technically it's our show's second charitable endeavor. Uh, Because as you know, tonight, Sam, are you able to on short notice, grab me that slide for Greta bar, that one that I sent you a couple of days ago, you know which one I'm talking about. It's it's healthcare worker appreciation day uh, today. Thanks, Sam. 
didn't even give the guy the heads up. And he had that up there in like 10 seconds. Unbelievable. This guy. Uh, it's Healthcare Worker Appreciation Day starting today. Uh, today, tomorrow and Saturday at Greta Bar and Real Talk is very proud to be presenting this alongside our friends at Yvonne's Furniture and of course Greta Bar here. Uh, if you're a healthcare worker uh, starting at four o'clock today when Greta opens, you can give them a call, place your order. And if you can prove you're a healthcare worker when you pick it up, it's curbside pickup only. So, you know, show them your your hospital pass or whatever you have. Uh, you're going to get uh, a free meal. So up to twenty five dollars. So basically a twenty five dollar credit on your meal. Um, so that's, I guess, officially Real Talk's first charitable involvement, um, you know, at least publicly. And our second one, I guess, was an impromptu one yesterday from Cameron Hughes. We talked to him, his book, The King of Cheer. Uh, what a dude. Hey, everybody that was watching Brad wrote in Brad's like uh, riding his uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, the, the mounted cycle. Brad's got his like awesome street touring bike, but it's it's got some cool setup in his garage where he can. Brad will ride like 100K and watch Real Talk the entire time. It's This guy's phenomenal. And Brad says, well, he, he says, watching Cameron just fired me up for my ride yesterday. Cameron's sort of the professional crowd igniter. Well, he showed us uh, an Oilers sweater that he had. Uh, he held it up kind of impromptu. This is part of our interview yesterday. You can watch the full interview. Uh, of course, you just go to our YouTube channel. Hope that you'd subscribe if you're there. Uh, and, and of course, yesterday's show will be right there. And Cameron sort of thought, well, what do you think people might think about this? So he's going to sign it. I'm going to sign it as the official in-game host of the Oilers. Uh, he's going to throw in a signed copy of his book, King of Cheer. And uh, <laughs> because a couple of you asked for it, I'm going to throw in a, a, an old mug. <laughs> he's throwing in an old mug. It's kind of a collector's item. Not yeah. a used old Not mug. Not a used right? old mug. A no. new, a new okay. old mug. Well, there we go. Yeah. Does that mean a new old mug? That works, right? It's a, that works. Everything old is new and new. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's it's a discontinued it's mug, but a, it is unused. It's discontinued. That's right. No. And and that so, makes it sound like a collector's item. Well, we'll say it. It is a collector's item for sure. It even comes still wrapped in its plastic. Ooh. So that that goes to show you how well, the one you gave me wasn't even wrapped in plastic. That one was probably used. Oh yeah, that one had seen <laughs> thousands of people. That, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I hope you I hope you cleaned that mug it's been Sam. through the dishwasher a few <laughs> yeah, times. Yeah. With the hottest cycle, I hope. Uh, so so by uh, so we didn't really have we didn't really know how this camera kind of sprung that on us yesterday. And we thought, oh, OK, yeah, sure. We can do a charitable fundraiser. But a lot of real talkers were chiming in and saying, OK, hang on a second, though. Like, how is this auction going to work and what's the deal? And, and, and we kind of went. Uh, we're going to figure it out on the fly. So here's the deal. So we've had some of you behind the scenes bidding on that uh, sweater. We'll call it the charity package uh, bidding on it behind the scenes, which we really appreciate. Cameron said we'll do it for a minimum of three hundred dollars. Every single cent of that obviously is going to go to momentum counseling. Uh, they, they provide sort of a pay as you can counseling. Uh, and uh, for a lot of people, we know access to mental health services. We learned this in our roundtable yesterday uh, is a lot easier said than done. Uh, you know, getting an appointment is one thing. Being able to pay for it is an entire other thing. So uh, so we know that that's a challenge. Uh, I'm happy to tell you behind the scenes that, that the sweaters at 400 bucks right now. Uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on the real talk RJ hashtag. That's this show's official hashtag. Uh, presented by Park Power. And then, of course, we're also going to keep an eye on the live chat. So, Sam, maybe you can uh, do me a favor because because you don't have much going on. I mean, you just sort Not of one bit. No, nope. just another just another mail another day at the office. Just another mail it in morning for Samuel Brooks, the technical producer of this show. Barely barely has anything on his plate this morning. I don't have my notebook out so <laughs> so maybe you can. Well, you get your notebook out to write down profound things that guests say, and I'm just running my mouth right now, so that you didn't need your notebook right now. But uh, um, hey, we'll, we'll let's let's talk about something on the fly. People are saying our video is choppy. Is our video choppy today? It looks perfectly it, it, fine. It was 
was when we first went on air. I restarted it. We're our bitrate smoothed out. We're in good shape. Hey guys, don't worry. Our bitrate smoothed out. I don't know what I don't know. That's that's why Sam's here. I have no idea. So the video's not choppy anymore. Okay, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Genevieve says I thought it was my crummy rural internet. Well, don't worry, Genevieve. Um, we have we have like internet numbers we can flex, don't we? Aren't we like pretty proud of our uh, internet? We're not have, so much. We're like middle of the road. We have we have gigabit download and 150 megabit upload. Is that is, pretty good? Yeah, that's uh, that's. I mean, that's that is good. If internet. that if that was a car. Approximately which car would it be Would that be like I'd say like I'd put that at like a V6 you okay. know what I mean? Like we're not going all the way. This isn't your your highest performance. But is it like a, is it a Mercedes Benz AMG V6 that'll that'll push 450 horses when you need them, or is it like a is it like a Mazda 626? I don't even know if they have V6s. Oh, you drive a Mazda. Let me pick a different car. Uh, <laughs> My Mazda is a tiny little four cylinder. It's a four banger. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's like so it's like a, it's like middle of the road. Yeah. It's like a V a turbo V6 is it's not like bad. A turbo V6. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. I had, a, I had a 95 Camry with a V6, and that thing kicked. Yeah. That was fun to drive. There are cars. There's all kinds of fascinating cars with real... I think Tom Rackman's probably ready to go. and, and he's, He is. He's and just he's, watching car chat. And, he's, and, and Tom's in London, England, being like, I, I was under the impression this is a serious show, and here these idiots are talking about... I was about to start talking about the Ford Taurus SHO. You remember back in the day? Do you know the, the, the show? Yeah. The Taurus SHO, which was like... It was like the family... It was like the practical family car, but could also like walk you off the anyway why don't we wait until after we talk about intellectual courage in the age of twitter with tom rackman a serious author out of london england then you know these two jabronis can get into comparing internet download and bit speed to cars in the mid 1990s how's that uh all of this to say to bring this full circle and you're going where is he even bringing this back to we're so off track what is he even returning to I'm reminding you, and please do keep an eye on the live chat. I'll keep an eye on the hashtag. Unless something's changed right now, that jersey auction's at 400 bucks. So we're going to wrap it up. We'll wrap it up at the end of the show today. Um, I'd love to see a minimum $500 donation uh, going to Millennium um, Counseling and uh, Momentum Counseling, pardon me. And, uh, and, and we're going to make that happen. And we're going to get you your autographed jersey and everything that goes along with it. Of course, Bitcoin Well makes sure that we have... You know, I'm going to attribute Bitcoin Well sponsorship to our internet purchase because it brings it full circle. You know, digital, there digital, crypto, digital. It's kind of a nice. So Bitcoin Well, a big part of their sponsorship, brings us our internet connectivity every day. I mean, we pay the bills, right? And they want to do the exact same thing for you, which is keeping you in the loop, helping you understand everything to do with cryptocurrency. It's what they do best based on right here in Edmonton. Uh, but of course, Bitcoin ATMs for your buying and selling convenience all across Canada. They're getting set to go public. You can learn more about Bitcoin well by checking out the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So I'm reading uh, Globe and Mail online the other day and, uh, you know, I come across this piece, a fascinating piece. Where is intellectual courage in the age of Twitter? And I went, yeah, yeah, that's something that's something that's something I think that I can get into. Uh, we're thrilled that the author of the piece has uh, agreed to join us this morning. Born in London, raised in Vancouver. Tom Rockman uh, set off for New York about 20 years ago. Entered journalism. He's worked at the Associated Press, the editor of International News. He's worked abroad as a correspondent in various cities, but he always wanted to write fiction. Uh, so he quit and he moved to Paris 
uh, publishing his first novel about 10 years ago, the international bestseller, The Imperfectionists. He's written three other acclaimed works of fiction. He was a juror for this past year's Giller Prize, and he's managing editor of Persuasion Magazine. Tom, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us this morning. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. I love your bio uh, in, in this piece for The Globe. It says, uh, Tom, you know, author of The Imperfectionist, other not, is the managing editor of Persuasion. He tweets uneasily at Tom Rackman, and I thought that that, that nailed it. Uh, it kind of captures the spirit of what you're talking about. Uh, we'll get into the piece itself, but but what put this, as, as an author, as a writer, uh, what put this concept on your radar? Well, I'd really avoided Twitter for a long time. Um, I remember when I first heard about it, it was, I think, around 2007, not long after it began, and it seemed like the most unappealing possible idea I'd ever heard of, the idea of sending text messages out into the public. Uh, text messages were private, I thought, just as I wouldn't necessarily want people listening in on my conversations on the telephone. It didn't even occur to me that this was a good idea. So I avoided it. And the years passed and more and more people were on this, this app and more and more people were using it and it kept appearing in more and more articles. And after about a decade, I started to realize that that my scorn of this new uh, platform was actually leaving me somewhat out in the cold. Uh, but I also knew from those people who were using it that it had all sorts of terrible, terrible attributes, the kinds of things that we're constantly hearing about, that people are getting upset about, whether it's um, people writing things that they then regret getting fired for them, or whether it's online harassment, or whether it's just the polarization that seems to come from the furious arguments that go on endlessly on Twitter. It never seemed suited to me, but I, the thing that puzzled me about them was that I always wanted to be a writer, and yet there was this extraordinary writing app, and something about it really put me off. And then recently, I took on a new position, um, working at this, this, this publication, Persuasion, and I started to think maybe this is an opportunity, maybe this is a chance to test it out. And so I spent quite a while just lurking around and reading and not, not really summoning the courage to say anything. And finally, I thought, I'm going to say something. It was, the, um, it was the, the, just after it became clear that Trump had lost the election, and um, I felt a great sense of relief at that and a little bit of hope again about the future after a fairly bleak period. And so I tweeted something, and it wasn't anything of any importance, but I... I put my toe in the water and I've been doing so ever since and thinking hard about what Twitter is and what it means for the kind of cultural conversation that goes on regularly and what it means in particular in terms of this article, what what Twitter means for the idea of trying to be courageous and trying to speak honestly and in a forthright and truthful manner at a time of such bitter, bitter disputes and arguments. You write, uh, you know, wonderful descriptive approach quote, even avid Twitter users dubbed the platform a hellscape with its dog piles and its dunks and its moral grandstanding. Uh, you say in one respect, it's hopeful we fight over what amounts to good and evil online. Places where intellectual bravery are indisputable are places to avoid. All you'd need to test your courage in, in Pyongyang is one wrong sentence. Those endless disputes on Twitter, also the din of free speech. So you've been dipping your toes in the water, so to speak, uh, I, I guess for probably about a month now, or I guess November 20th was the election. So let's call it two months. Uh, what has, has your mind 
changed at all with regards to what you've seen? Is it is it the same platform or the same hellscape that you remember back in the day when, when you first had your experience? I think it's not at all the same. Uh, I think that that the if we're talking about what it looked like early on, it's changed so immensely. Um, I think it's the 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 breadth of it and the fact above all that everybody who is trying to say something in public is on it. So the idea of of recusing oneself from that massive conversation is more and more difficult. And that I felt like I was sort of tugged in for that reason. Because if I thought to myself, if I want to be trying to say things in public sometimes, as presumably I did if I was going to be a writer, then to just stand aside from the the loudest and largest platform, the largest cultural conversation in history seemed a little bit crazy. On the other hand, there's no question that it's, a, it's, it's in many respects a, a miserable and problematic place. I guess that my conclusion in some regards was that it might be imperfect. In fact, it might be pretty awful sometimes, but it's what we have. And I'm prone, I think, to complaining and lamenting about the way that technology has changed and 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 uh, destroyed many of the things of the analog world that I grew up with and that I love. But I'm also a realist, and I see that this is these are the circumstances, and so I had to figure out how to engage with it. And I, I think that perhaps my views are 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 in some ways they're a little bit fresher because I haven't been engaged in it. On the other hand, they're probably a little bit naive because I have yet to be brutalized online. And um, I hope that your uh, your kind listeners aren't going to be the first to do that. <laughs> well, well, so far, I mean, Tom, I've been keeping an eye on the hashtag and everybody's behaving themselves right now, though, though you've not yet said anything inflammatory. Uh, you, you don't you know, I took a quick spin through your, your timeline, you know, just you and I have never met personally. And I thought, well, I don't you know, when, when it comes down to the question of what's this guy afraid of? You know, I wanted to know, is it, are, are you out there, you know, putting out alternative therapies to, you know, are, are you suggesting that, you know, cancer fundraising is one big ruse or are you are you suggesting that the people that that adhere to religion are fools? I mean, are you putting something out there that's so inflammatory, that's so offensive that you'd be inviting on the dog pile? But that's that's not really the case. Uh, so let me ask you, what what were you afraid of? Well, I, I think that, first of all, I think that it's very possible to say fairly measured, reasonable things and still suffer an attack, mm. partly because of the fact that people differ on what reasonable is nowadays. And also because uh, it's not like the conversations going on on Twitter are uh, are between people who are entirely reasonable. It's it's it has in some respects that it offers that same release for some people that that kind of road rage does, you know, that you're, you can gun the, the, speaking of cars as you were before, you can gun past the, the person who's annoying you and scream out the window in a way that you'd be, you'd never do if you were actually seeing them. And I think that that kind of release is what the, the relative anonymity of Twitter allows. So if people feel strongly about an issue, you might be saying nothing that is particularly inflammatory, but you nonetheless might get um, a terrible uh, blindside from, from somebody who feels intensely in a different way or feels that you have somehow somehow crossed some line. So that's that's part of it. I, I think that um, the, the other element of, of all of this is that we're really talking about a, a culture nowadays that isn't a single culture anymore, right? So, in the past, there were all, there were all sorts of subcultures, of course, but there was some sort of establishment way of viewing things, and that 
the idea of moral courage, intellectual courage, was that you had somebody, an outsider in some way, who looked at the way that things were going and they said, this is, this is an outrage and I, I feel it's wrong and I'm going to say something honest about it and hopefully people will listen. And if they went against the powers that be, they, they often did so at great cost. And this continues to be the case in, in, uh, in countries that are extremely repressive to this day. But the way that the, the cultural conversation works on, on, uh, on the internet is that there isn't clearly a kind of establishment view anymore. You have tons of different subcultures that are each intense and fierce and each battling uh, and, um, and, and desperately trying to put their views forward. And as a result of that, it's kind of hard to know what being honest and courageous in your views really amounts to anymore. Um, you can also frequently say things uh, that that seem to be fairly pedestrian and um, and you might get a dog pile. But on the other hand, there's another danger on Twitter, which is that if you say something that is extreme, you're very likely to get a lot of supporters because people always worry about the online harassment and being, being uh, insulted and attacked. But that's also quite obviously the way to get followers is if you say extreme things. Yeah. Uh, I suppose one of the things that, that, that um, just to, to get to answer your question about what scared me was that it wasn't, I don't know if it was entirely fear about the dog piles. It was also the, the sense that if I ended up finding myself having to sort of perform for followers, then would I be me anymore? Would I be saying what I thought or would I get sucked into this weird conversation with faceless group of people who I didn't know, but I was trying in some way to, 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 to quench? This is interesting. Um, Himes watching says, why would you care what somebody says online? Just ignore them. Um, I, I've had I, I've been in the in the shallow end of of the dog pile pool um, and I've experienced it to a certain degree. In one case where a, 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 let me say a comment that I made was it's a long story and Tom, I won't bore you with it. But but it, it was made in without a, a full understanding of an issue on my part made with good intention uh, the interpretation of it made the comment appear to be abhorrent. Uh, and, and, and I was crucified for about 48 hours. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I've witnessed that, that type of phenomenon. And it's, uh, it required some damage control. And, and the whole matter is behind us now. But I can say uh, for someone to say, well, you don't care what somebody says online. Just ignore them. That, that's not an adequate response in some of these circumstances. You're talking about people who's. I can't remember the gal's name online uh, off the top of my head, but but she's the classic study. I'm trying to remember the story. She was like an, a foreign aid worker or something like that. And she, she made a joke on her private social media about something to do with AIDS or something. I think she said, I'm going to Africa. Hopefully I don't get AIDS or something like that. She had like minimum amount of followers by the time her plane landed and she got back into Wi-Fi and turned her phone on. Uh, her future was done, although I guess I'm proving the fact I can't remember her name. Maybe her future's not done. But if you Google her now, you'd find it out. I mean, your entire life can change uh, if you say something inflammatory, if you invite that mob in. Um, yeah, in absolutely. I, I think I think that's completely true. And I think that that it's easy to say, oh, who cares about just an opinion like that? And if it's one or two, that's probably true. But there's also the risk that you can have um, a, a mob of people who turn against you. And uh, one of the, I mean, the case that you're talking about, about that, that uh, that woman, she intended that as a as a as a joke that was to make fun 
of racism. So it wasn't intended as a racist remark, but unfortunately appearing as it did online, that people interpreted it as a racist remark and there was suddenly a call to get her fired. And by the time she landed from that flight, she had been fired. So um, there, are, there are cases like that that mean that you have to take it seriously. But there's another element of it too, which is that if you get a lot of these things and if they are personal and brutal and maybe threatening, it's very hard to know quite how to interpret that. It's certainly at the very least unsettling and it's definitely gonna affect how you feel and how you think and how you express yourself online. And it's obvious too that it drives people towards polarization because if you have one group of people who say, oh, you're so great for having said that thing, and another group that says, you're the worst person who ever existed for saying that thing, then you're gonna gravitate towards the ones who are kind to you. So I think that it's, it's, you can't quite write it off as easily as that. Another problem with it is that if it ends up being that, that, um, that you can only manage in this environment if you are able to take any amount of, of, of brutality and assaults on your character and public insults that might dog you online forever, if you're the kind of person who just doesn't care about that, then you're a certain personality type. You're resilient and it's, it's, it's impressive. But do we necessarily want all of the voices who are speaking, who are loud and prominent, to be defined by the fact that they could just take a lot of attacks? I mean, that doesn't seem to me like it's necessarily going to bring forth the wisest and most, uh, um, the most interesting and valid points of view if it's just a question of, of having thick armor. Yeah, uh, it was Justine Sacco, by the way. Uh, it, was, it was December 20th of 2013. Hard to believe uh, eight years ago already. Uh, she tweeted before the final leg of her trip to Cape Town, Cape Town, South Africa, going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Uh, and obviously, when she landed, her entire life was blown up because of that. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, Tom, I don't want to I don't want to. Uh, I mean, we've got uh, about five minutes. We asked you for for a certain block of time. I know that your time is in high demand. I don't want to keep you here too long, but I've got a few questions left for you. One of them, I'm just curious about you. You lamented the loss of certain analog elements of your life. And I'm just curious, I think we might get some insight uh, with regards to what those are. What do you miss most about the analog life? Well, great many things. I mean, I think that I miss the inability to just be offline, to be, to be unconnected Mm -hmm. and to be allowed to have one's, one's thoughts um, just percolate away without, without the constant ping and back and forth of the internet. We're all, I mean, I don't know about all of us, but most of us, certainly I am, addicted to to this it's it operates very very brilliantly on some fundamental structures of our brain and it it addicts us just like any other addiction and as a result it's it's hard to to really tear yourself away from it and the effect of this is um is that i like a lot of people have a kind of nostalgia for a world that is in some ways still there i mean you could just go to the countryside and turn off your phone but we're connected, and in some, especially during COVID, we're we're more reliant than ever on these these communications and these forms of connection. So I think the 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 possibility of just being alone and and unconnected is something that I miss. I also miss many of the the um, the elements of thinking and the arts, and particularly literature and writing, given that that's the field I work in, that have been overshadowed a bit or um, or aren't really managing quite as well in this online environment. It's obvious that everybody's attention span has plummeted. Mine is included in that. I think everybody's the same way, pretty much. And uh, that has an effect on the sorts of things that people are reading, the way that they think, the way that they the way that they write and those kinds of books that get published. And so I, I regret that too. Um, I don't want to seem like a, a complete 
pessimist on this. There are obviously fantastic things about this connectivity that we have. And again, those during COVID have become more obvious than ever with family all over the world for so many people or all around Canada or all around whatever country you're in. And to be able to connect with them, to be able to, be able to study and do the other things that we are. But anybody who is kind of a straddler, as I think I am in age-wise, somebody who, anybody who has straddled the, the pre-internet period and the internet mm-hmm. period has understood to a degree both of them, knows that, it, that, that despite all of the the great glories and fun that we have, that there's a, a fundamental, there are fundamental aspects of the world that was that have gone very quickly. And I regret some of them. I want, I want to encourage people. I don't, I don't read too much of your piece because it, I can't do it justice. It would, I, I, it's difficult when you ask an author, like a wordsmith to kind of get into their piece. You want to let it speak for itself to a certain degree. So people can find it at globemail.com. Um, you the, the piece references a beautiful piece of of graffiti art references George Orwell. I can't help but think of uh, of a, a, a prominent Edmontonian Marshall McLuhan and his theory of of the medium is the message. And I think that that would ser- you could write a whole uh, dissertation around that with regards to Twitter. Our audience comments have been fascinating with regards to how they've approached their social media. But I wanted to wrap with this, Tom. It's it's a great observation that you make where you, you write. Presumably, you could you could demonstrate intellectual courage by breaking with the orthodoxy of your subculture uh, but even this fails immediately you'd be flung over the wall into the opposing tribe you know that's why liberals have been paralyzed in recent years troubled by the excess of wokeness but aghast at association with the opposite clan where one's welcome hug might come from the likes of donald trump jr it's so very well said everything's so polarized i even think of it with regards to how society's conditioned Someone will be critical, for example, of, of, of a government official on a program like this and cheerleaders for that government's opposition say, yeah. And I know people in the middle are saying, well, I'm not sure that criticizing one means endorsing another. We've got kind of a tribal mentality that I'm, doesn't seem to me that has always been here. Maybe it's been below the surface. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that I think that human beings do have a propensity to try to find a tribe and find the support that that you can gain from that, but it's particularly acute if you feel if you feel threatened. And quite aside from the kind of dogpile that we were talking about, I think that generally the, the the situation, the world that we're in right now, it feels like there are a lot of threats around. People feel insecure about the future, uh, about the environment, about many things that we have every reason to, to worry about. And I think that if you can find comforting groups, then it's natural that we do. And the internet obviously shoves us into these very narrow groups. And one of the one of the, the the casualties of all of this is nuance and intent and something that that you alluded to before. I think that one of the sad things about a lot of the the disputes or particularly the online mobs that turn against somebody for having said something is that intent is is really not considered sufficiently. And who hasn't said the wrong thing? Who hasn't said a foolish thing that was that was poorly understood in the context and and you maybe you said something that was understood exactly as you intended it, but afterwards you realize that didn't represent your views. It didn't represent you in any way you wanted to. And right now, the internet is simultaneously very, very fleeting medium in that everything's just rushing out and it feels like it doesn't matter, but it's also indelible. And so you have this strange, um, this strange paradox where uh, people feel that they can say things and it doesn't really matter, but you can never quite escape it. And I think that that's that's um, underscored by the fact that that there's a tendency now to 
assume that that you can't qualify or explain yourself or even maybe seek forgiveness now and then for having just said the wrong thing that, that if you somehow fall afoul then you are foul and that's it and i, I think that that's a, a foolish way to run a conversation a debate or a serious society Tom, uh, we're so grateful uh, that you were able to, to check in this morning. Uh, I guess the afternoon for you, we certainly appreciate it. I want to let our audience know that they can find your piece, uh, theglobeandmail.com. Where is intellectual courage in the age of Twitter? And of course, you can find Tom Rackman tweeting uneasily on Twitter at Tom Rackman. Thank you for this. Thank you so much, Ryan. Nice to be on your show. Much appreciated. Uh, encourage you to give him a follow and, and really encourage you to, to read the piece. He gets into, um, I don't want to spoil it, but but uh, a young literary luminary raised in Mussolini's Italy. And he takes us back to that time and, and you know, through the Second World War and talks about intellectual courage. And it's just a great read. And I'm so grateful. And a shout out to my pal, Chris Duncan, who put this on my radar and he's a big fan of real talk and it means a lot to know that he's tuned in uh, the team at local waste uh, right now it wants to remind you that whether it's a small business or a small retail operation or a big shopping mall you're getting set to open or maybe you're taking a look at the garbage or waste management contracts you have you're going these big faceless companies aren't giving us the attention that we demand and deserve as loyal clients and customers well, at Local Waste, they operate on a first-name basis. Chris and Lauren would love to talk trash with you. They'd love to earn your business. Give them a call at 780-242-9746. Find them online at localwaste.ca. And a big heads up, a shout out to those of you living in the Metro Edmonton region. Heck, I don't care if you're in Red Deer. I don't care if you are in Wabaman. I don't care if you are in uh, Fort Saskatchewan's a bad example because they have their very own Friesen Brothers. I guess the point I'm making is I don't care if it's a 45-minute drive to get to the Anthony Henday at Rabbit Hill Road March 5th or any day after that. You're going to want to do that because Friesen Brothers is opening its new flagship store in South Edmonton. This is going to turn the grocery game upside down you know, in Alberta's capital something. region. Kelly's birthday is March 7th. Oh, Sam. So I'm going to cook something spectacular from that new store. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. You don't have to cook it. Ooh, but I like cooking. Okay. Well, you yeah, can do fair. that. But it, yeah, I mean, they do have tell some... me about their Red Seal chefs. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They're going to love you. You're trying to get a gift basket. That, Sam, we see right through exactly what you're doing. You're trying to get a free gift basket. from. <laughs> <laughs> now they do have. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to on the fly change my messaging. If you are cooking dinner for your sweetheart, Friesen Brothers has all the fresh Alberta-grown, Alberta-produced ingredients you need. Whether it's Alberta beef, pork, turkey, chicken, Alberta-milled flour, whether it's Alberta produce, whenever possible, Friesen Brothers has you covered. For more than 60 years, Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned. There you go. That turned into two and a half minutes. And now Kelly knows what she's getting for her birthday. So pressure's on, pal. Nobody would blame you for going for their braised beef short rib that's this that's tell them jespo sent you the braised beef short rib all right before we get to our ag round table i'm assuming the three of them are patiently waiting set to go okay well why don't we get into the news we'll take a look at what's making headlines right now this first story i don't even know what to make of this i don't even know what is going on with reddit wall street bets has anybody else been paying attention to this Be has anybody been paying attention to what's been going on right now on the stock market? 
Who, who takes credit for this? Gen Z? Millennials? What, who takes credit for this? I love this story. This is wild. So you've been, you've been paying attention probably. I mean, if, if, if you're watching markets and they're just all over the place right now, a flurry of retail investors are, I mean, they're flocking to stocks that really nobody's wanted recently with due respect, Bed Bath & Beyond and GameStop and even Nokia. You know, U.S. listed shares for Nokia spiked as much as 40% yesterday. On Thursday, today, uh, in pre-market trading, they, they were down about, well, they're coming back down to earth about 13, 15%. In a statement yesterday, Nokia says it wasn't aware of any material or corporate developments, quote, that would account for the recent increase in the market price of trading volume of its shares. In other words, the company itself is going, we have no idea why there's all this interest. <laughs> that's, that's corporate speak for we're actually not doing anything all that great right now. We don't know. AMC theaters, like all like GameStop, these stocks are spiking. Everything that was big... 15 years ago. Yeah. And it's funny, but it's not. Blackberry was all over the place yesterday. And then the institutional investors are saying we require more regulation. And then everybody else, you know, cheekily is saying, oh, really? Now that we figured out how to game the system instead of just you gaming the system, now we need more regulation, do we? Anyway, I'll promise you this. These are just preliminary observations. But a lot of you right now, for example, like Viek Zhu, Viek Zhu, pardon me if I'm mispronouncing, uh, wrote in to say, Jespo, please tell me you've left space to talk about this on the show. Like, this is unreal. We're going to reach out to somebody that knows more than me to make sense of this. I promise you that by by tomorrow or the next day. And we're, of course, keeping a keen eye on what's going on. Uh, also wanted to put on your radar. This is interesting. Um, today, the Bell Let's Talk movement. I know that many people have opinions about the movement. I'm happy to hear them. Uh, yesterday, we were proud to bring you an hour of what I thought was really meaningful conversation on mental health. Well, the, the heavy psychological toll of pandemic life is 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 evidencing itself in the numbers. Um, data released uh, just a short time ago from Canadian police agencies coming together in partnership with the Ontario Medical Association show a surge in mental health needs across the country. In, in fact, Statistics Canada uh, compiled their numbers gathered from 19 different police forces serving 70% of the Canadian population. So we've got a pretty good sense here of what we're talking about. Police reported crime was down by 18% through the first eight months of the pandemic. We're talking Canada-wide, but calls for service increased by 8%. In other words, there was a rush of calls for mental health. Uh, Compared with the same period from uh, the previous year, 2019 into 20, uh, police fielded 13% more calls for general well-being checks and 12% more requests to respond to people in emotional crisis or apprehensions under the Mental Health Act. All of this to say, call someone today. Call someone if you need to talk. Call someone that might need to talk. Call someone you haven't talked to in a while. Send someone a text. Reconcile with somebody. Support somebody. Somebody you know is struggling. Five minutes or or a text message could turn someone's day around. It's not that simple, I know. But do something today in reflection of these trends. I'm going to do the same. I'll make you that promise. Let's get to our agricultural experts. Uh, This is a roundtable that we've we've promised you. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to a conversation with Brittany Hennig and Sean Haney and Jeff None uh, for the next hour. Each one of them uh, brings a different perspective to the field, no pun intended. Each one of them an agricultural expert. Uh, Let's introduce Brittany first. Brittany Hennig uh, currently working toward her grad degree in plant sciences uh, at the University of Alberta studying integrated pest management strategies of clubroot, 
of canola. She's been working in ag for a decade now, spending the last four years specifically on canola agronomic research and extension. Brittany, you and I have been talking for about two months now about this ag roundtable. It's finally here. Welcome to Real Talk. It might seem some people look outside and, and see the snow and ice and say it's kind of a weird time to be talking about ag. Why is it important to you that we be having this discussion today? Well, actually, yeah, it's great. It's very timely uh, to talk about misinformation in agriculture, and that's something I'm very passionate about. So um, really looking forward to this conversation. Let's uh, welcome our other panelists to the fold. Sean Haney, uh, if you follow ag media you know exactly who sean is he's the founder of real agriculture uh, manages one of the leading industry ag media companies for canadian farmers and ranchers at realagriculture.com uh, he also hosts real ag radio which is broadcast across north america on rural radio channel 147 on sirius xm it runs daily at 2 30 mountain 4 30 eastern sean you and i have spoken before i've never been able to so proudly and openly promote a competitor to terrestrial radio before but now i can pump your tires like you wouldn't believe welcome to real talk i love it jess well great stuff man hey thanks a lot for having us on the show here today and, and thanks a lot for focusing on an industry that is so important to the province of alberta as well as the country of canada really appreciate you bringing some attention to it well you bet and my plan is once we've introduced my good pal jeff none i'm going to kind of get out of the way aside from generally directing these conversations i'd like to really have the three of you almost take it over and i know that we'll have strong participation from our audience as well our third panelist today uh, i've known for many years i consider him to be a close and dear friend he, he has served in our previous radio show as our official volunteer agricultural correspondent the pay has always been lousy for jeff none but his contributions have been massive uh, jeff and his wife Coralie and their two beautiful kids uh, own and operate lakeside farmstead uh, uh, used to just be a dairy operation but that's far from that now uh jeff of course uh, behind an, uh, some amazing beef wagyu holstein beef and their brand new cheesery as well and so much more jeff it's uh really really cool to bring you here your first appearance on real talk thanks for making time for us today oh it's exciting to make the debut ryan hopefully i got some of the technology right well, well, I, well uh, I noticed that your the, your background there that's new that that big uh, i don't know what you call that but that that big decal behind you um it's a new logo uh, it's essentially new branding for your family's operation. Why don't you talk us? Why don't you give us a, a bit of a hint? Um, I, I teed this up for our audience a, a while ago. I let them know that you and I go way back. We first met uh, talking about the dairy business. Um, I've since seen your family's journey through the highs and the lows. Uh, not to start on a low note, but you and your, you, you and your family recovered from a, a devastating fire. Uh, what was it, Jeff? I think about three years now. Uh, a little, yeah, a little over three. A little over three years. But there have been many wins, too. The, the highs and the lows of, of family business that is agriculture. What's one of the things you think that we need to focus on today as we have a meaningful conversation on Canada's producers? I think in the larger picture, there's so many, so many topics. And even listening to your last guest, your little news splash on what's going on in the stock markets with this game stop um, business. I mean, agriculture is so dynamic. It's amazing. Every time I jump on your show, like I wanted to jump into all those conversations because they happen in agriculture. They're relevant in agriculture. We deal with it in agriculture. Um, as far as our own commodity markets have been rallying like crazy, uh, a little more fundamentals behind it, but lots of the pitfalls and risks are there. Uh, when, you're, when your guest Tom said to head out to the country and turn off your phone, I kind of chuckled because uh, often our phones are not working out here in the country. Internet and connections can be a problem. Um, 
yeah, you name it. So uh, for me today, I guess this is a great, great panel. I, I've known Sean for a while and uh, Brittany's got a lot to contribute. So um, we'll see where it goes, but uh, there, there's so many things from, you know, on-farm safety uh, and, and ideas around that that I have and then consumer based. And that's really the brand behind you and what we do with the beef. And uh, for me, connecting and communicating with consumers and trying to get that food as directly in their hands so that uh, my voice and my story and our story here at the farm um, lands a little bit uh, a little bit better on that. Okay, well, let me let me say this. So I, I really do want to encourage you. I'm going I'm to throw this question over to Brittany, and then I'm going to kind of get out of the way and encourage you all to to interact with one another. You know way more about what we're talking about than I possibly could. But but Brittany, I, I, I suppose in ag, like in any other business, there's probably the, the an importance of fact and science, uh, obviously, um, and then probably opinion as well. I would imagine if you talk to some veteran farmers on the best way to do something, you're probably going to have some pretty strong opinions that might vary. Uh, we do live in the age of information and. And you might argue in the age of misinformation. So I thought it was interesting that 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 was what you touched on in introducing yourself to our audience, misinformation in agriculture. Why don't we start our conversation there? What's on your radar right now? And and why do you think it's such an important topic for discussion? Yeah, so um, and I want to start by saying that I am from an acreage and not from a farm. I grew up more in an urban setting and I caught myself, I specifically remember the one incidence of going to the grocery store and finding organic spinach and thinking like, this is definitely nutritious. It's more expensive, but it's, it's better for me. Um, and I couldn't afford it at that point. I was a student, but that's what I believed was correct. And so through schooling, I switched from pre-vet over to crop sciences and not only learning about GMOs, organic production, um, basically how our food is produced, uh, through the school system, I also just talked to my colleagues and coworkers, the farmers uh, that actually grew the food. And I realized, not that I was upset, but I was so um, astonished that there is so much misinformation um, about our food, specifically around um, being scared, um, which I don't think we need to be at all in Canada. And just, I found kind of like my passion in my everyday life, trying to educate people on um, where their food comes from and food labels. Um, so I don't know, do you want me to dive into yeah, specifically well, I, my I, opinions I, on GMOs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want. All I want is your opinions today. And 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 I want to and I'd love to hear it. And then I'd love for Sean to take it over because we have uh, what, what I love is that we've got a, a prominent. I mean, Sean knows ag, but Sean knows media and messaging, too. So I'm so it, 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 when it comes to information and misinformation, I'm sure he'll have a take on this. But Brittany, yeah, dive right in, because I know Jeff loves talking GMOs, too. <laughs> okay, so and and to be frank, I did not actually learn about the differences in what I'm about to talk to you until um, my graduate research, taking a genetics course and then sitting in a in a room with geneticists. So GMOs is a mis, misused term. And so when we actually break down that acronym, it's genetically modified organism. It's any organism that's genetics have been modified. So we can go back into eight to 9,000 years ago and we had the farmer breeders selecting specific seeds from crops that worked well for them and then replanting those. And so already back then we were modified, modifying our genes uh, to be more productive. And so when we look at specifically GMOs and, and it, it gets confusing, um, but you think of like GMOs as like the top part of the whole chain. And then we can go into conventional and unconventional breeding methods. Conventional would be like just crossing 
uh, to plants. Whereas unconventional, we look at more of the genes and the DNA of the plants. Um, but that's where we get into, you know, our, our quote unquote GM canola, which is a genetically modified organism, but it's specifically a transgenic. Um, and it's just a different breeding technique used to create a specific type of canola. Um, you know, we have non-GMO canola and we have G GM canola, um, but looking at, you know, our, our seedless watermelon is technically a GMO. Our, our red grapefruit is technically a GMO. We've modified the genes I don't know if you remember white grapefruit, uh, it's now red. Papayas are all transgenics because a papaya ring virus was um, attacking, attacking them. And if it wasn't for transgenic papayas, we wouldn't have papayas on our shelves anymore. And so when we look in the future, our bananas, our, our um, citrus oranges um, from Florida are at threat. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that because it's so complex, there's so many different breeding techniques, um, it's scary. And it's so easy to see the syringe into the tomato and that's a GM. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to discount people's concerns at all. Um, but Sean, is it fair to say that when, when someone invokes the name, you know, Monsanto, for example, and they say, well, well, well Monsanto's behind this. And, th and then everybody goes, oh, ooh, right. And everybody gets all whipped into a frenzy. I'm sure you must hear it all the time as a radio host. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, our audience is uh, is pretty tuned in on these things because they're in the in, they're in the industry. But you know, I, I think one thing Monsanto doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, they were bought by Bayer a couple of years ago. So people that bring up Monsanto and some of the the supposed evil things they are doing, they're not even a thing. Um, so we need to recognize that. I, I think you know, Ryan. One, there's probably some people hearing what Brittany said and saying, oh, I just do not trust science on this one. I'm sorry. I know there's some sort of nefarious thing underway here. The reality is that some of those same people that are saying that are also probably in the chat on your show saying, you know, why won't Premier Kenny believe in the science? Why, why, why are these governments not following the science on COVID? Science, science, science. But then when it comes to their food, they're doing kind of the opposite in terms of their belief in science. And I think it's one of the struggles we have right now is there's so many versions of science out there. Social media, going back to what your prior guest said, social media really plays a negative part in this where there is a lot of conspiracy theories out there that spin completely out of control and they're really hard to contain. And it's really, really difficult in a time where people have more information than ever it is a real challenge for agriculture to kind of get through that noise and really talk about some of the good things that it's doing, especially when it comes to the, the food that's showing up at the grocery store. I'll, I'll make one more point. You know, consumers need to be very, very aware of the marketing that happens at the grocery store. And th there's a lot of things that are on labels that are, quite frankly, really based on fear-based marketing. And the, I really encourage people to reach out to producers like Jeff and, and, you know, ask questions and get some of the information, especially when it comes to things like dairy and beef products. There is a lot of misinformation out there on the food that's on the store shelf. Well, dairy and beef, uh, Nona, that's your game. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and store shelves, right? I'm learning that's a steep learning curve, the information, how you get in there, you know, what retailers are looking for, what works. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, agriculture is always a tremendous learning curve uh, for me. Yeah, uh, I can't even think, I don't think at this point I'm so immersed in it and the, and the, and the uh, curve is so steep that um, I don't know that I can do justice to my experience bringing a product to market in, in, uh, in that aspect. Um, my take a little bit on the GMOs and, and just 
building off of what Brittany and Sean said is that it's, it's, it, there are problems with some of what, what GMO has brought us in the form of monoculture, um, you know, and, and making it easier to focus on just a couple of commodities. But I think the future is not to throw that technology out, but to see how that technology can help us in our efforts with regenerative, regenerative ag, um, which is a big movement, understanding it, talking about it, how it works in Northern Alberta versus, you know, Central Alberta and, and the opportunities around the world, because it isn't a one size fits all. And you need, you need the boots on the ground and the expertise of the farmers that are in that area and know their, know their ground and know their, uh, you know, what they're up against for all their risks to bring all of this together. And I think there's some exciting things coming in the future, but it's going to be bits and pieces of everything. There's no way that GMOs are being thrown out. Parts of the world are, uh, are backing off on, on their support of it. But at the same time, it's a huge part of uh, how we're going to make sure we have enough. Food Jeff, around. Jeff, you have how, how, how many head of cattle would you, would you have in, in your operation now? Like two, two, 300, something like that. <laughs> we're milking uh, in the 170 range. So that means 300, uh, in the dairy replacement program and about 160, 180 uh, beef animals that are uh, on their way uh, through the system. OK, so let me so let me ask you this. In other words, you know your way around cattle. Um, Kim is watching and she says it's she says we can have the same conversation uh, when it comes to misunderstandings around antibiotics and cattle. Antibiotics are humane and healthy for animals and they are not harmful for human consumption. It, it might be the burger joints that are most to blame for this. Uh, the antibiotic or, or you know, uh, whatever, steroid free beef, however they market themselves. Uh, what's your take on that? I would imagine you have an opinion. You're in the beef game. Every, uh, yeah, every region has a different program for that. Antibiotics are same story. Like there's a purpose and a tool for them in agriculture. Um, you have organics and people that are uh, able to work with less of it and use different uh, methods and different treatments. It, we are so aware of it in agriculture. We had a discussion yesterday that that was out for his every two week visit on our herd health check. And the discussion was around treating uh, some, some disease in the herd, use of antibiotics, boiling it down to understand what we're actually doing. We're not out here throwing antibiotics in every problem. Uh, we sample all of our milk regularly. I'm actually involved in a project right now where those samples are then sent and we're spinning off on um, get, digging down to the DNA level to identify what pathogens are actually there so we have a better understanding of what we're treating, how to treat it. Um, and in a lot of cases, you know, understanding how to build that, the, the health side of the program and our nutrition and our animal husbandry to make sure that we don't have to use antibiotics. And, right. Um, I'm involved in, I, I mean, you know, I almost feel like I need to make a disclaimer on every step here because uh, I'm invested also in a probiotic company that we're looking at specifically that using probiotics to um, enhance the, the immune system of the cow so that we can purposely use less antibiotics in the future. So yeah, there's so much going on in ag. Hey, Ryan, one of the things I, I think comes up here is that, you know, a lot of your audiences, I, I'm sure, is concerned about climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that allows us to sequester more carbon in the soil and reduce greenhouse gas, gas emissions is no-till, not cultivating, not disturbing the soil. And one of the, way, one of the tools that we use in a, to be able to do that is having access to some GM technologies. And so it's, it's, I think it's a really, really positive step to connect some of these dots on some of the positive things that uh, some of this technology provides, especially when it comes to uh, fighting climate change. Uh, Brittany, I, and I want to return to climate change and to give our audience a sense of, of what's coming up and, and our panelists as well. I, I'd really like to get into a 
post-pandemic look at ag, uh, an assessment of, of what this pandemic has done to the industry and, and, and how we uh, grow our way or build our way out of it. I'd like to talk to you about the Biden presidency and, wh- and what that means for trade and what's on your radar. Uh, but Brittany, yourself as a scientist and a researcher, we've got some interesting uh, questions and comments here from viewers on our Real Talk live chat on YouTube. Uh, Corinne, for example, says uh, plant-based meats or plant-based proteins. Is this a fad? Is it a real healthy alternative? That's a great question. And how about this point from Daniel who says, you know, there's money. Um, we talked about this a little bit uh, just a few shows ago. Money's getting cut from our institutions, and it's a big issue um, when it comes to research on things like livestock breeding, uh, better plant productivity, whatever the case may be. Um, as a researcher yourself, is that something that's on your radar? Is that something that concerns you? Uh, so... In insofar as research, I specifically work within canola um, right now. I don't know if I can, I guess maybe I can speak for the industry as a whole. There has been a lot of changes. Been a, um, I don't well, know. If we well, let me ask, let me ask from, from your perspective and your opinion based on uh, your job and what you're doing. Do you believe that enough of an emphasis or enough support is being allocated for research when it comes to crop science? I mean, imagine a lot of it is industry funded. Um, just like in any other industry. Um, but is it a healthy future in that context? Uh, specifically for myself, I work with canola and I would I would say, I mean, hey, we're never we're never opposed to more research. Um, but I, I do think the canola industry has a lot of research underway right now and it isn't just industry funded. Um, it is grower funded. And um, yeah, I think Specifically for canola, uh, we have a lot of research going and a lot of really cool, interesting, whether it's um, for medical advancements for your health or for the farmer. Um, And again, like I said, this is a lot of it is farmer funded. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, I saw Ross McKenzie was on your show. Yeah. Uh, was it on Mo- I think, believe it was on a Monday. And, and, you know, Ross has a, a point of view that he's very upset about the, the government cuts to the Alberta research budget for agriculture. But, you know, and I think that's warranted. There should be concern. Uh, a lot of the responsibility here has been transferred over to somebody that a lot of people in the industry have a lot of respect for. That is Dr. David Chalik. Uh, he, he is heading up RDAR. And I think, you know, the, the big watch here is how what research looks like in the future in in alberta when it comes to agriculture it it's not going to be the same it is different some of the opposition to some of those cuts is is more about op- opposition to change as opposed to what the the final outcome is so i think the jury is really still out some of that research is being funneled and pushed towards uh academic institutions like olds college university of lethbridge university of alberta i think people can accept that and or at least it's not all negative um, there is changes afoot. The, this government is definitely not wanting to be in the business of agricultural research, so to speak. And I think from a producer standpoint, every every industry I'm involved with, from the potato industry, dairy, all the grain, every time I move anything, beef included, um, there's a checkoff. There's levy dollars that are put to the industry, and our industries have boards and, and uh, producer-run um, think tanks where that's where we decide what to do with those dollars. And I think it's following more of a model where – uh, the government, you can you can design research projects and get funding through grants rather than having these branches. Having said that, the other side that didn't touch on that show that you did um, is, the, is the other role of some of these government agencies and, and some of these uh, people that are employed in it. And it's not just research and grain. We have inspectors on the federal level that come out and are critical to me and our industry being able to move potatoes into, into the U.S. and maintain relationships with the FDA and cross-border stuff. 
On the larger scale, uh, here with the cheese plant, we have federal, uh, federal and uh, provincial inspectors at this point in time that make sure, and, and it's every processing plant around the province, the meat inspection, when we go to my abattoir, uh, the dairy, I have a different inspector. And I know in all of these cases, this isn't all of a sudden out of nowhere. They've been getting cuts, they've been getting pressure, they've been having um, less resources, larger areas. And these are people that are a third party designed to come and make sure that the regulations and what we're trying to do in the industry is being adhered to on every farm. And those kinds of things need to be paid attention to because you can't cut all of that out and still have the consumer's trust that we are following all the rules that are uh, that are agreed to. How, I'd love to talk about consumer trust. I think this is important. Let me let me just check in on our on our live chat here. For example, Daniel says, if I had to run my feedlot without antibiotics, it would have been a very short existence. Um, Unseen stranger says probiotics over antibiotics. Nice. Um, was Mark has an interesting question, Jeff. This is just some insight into you running your business or expanding your business and opening the cheesery. Uh, we don't have to get too into the weeds on this, but I think people would be interested to know what's involved. Mark says, I'm curious to know if the milk for the cheese has to go through the dairy board or can it come directly from the cows without a third person? What's involved with that? Is that a seamless operation for you or do you have like have you had to go through your own red tape reduction? Is it is it a bit of a disaster trying to get that launched? Uh Yes and no. Uh, physically, simple. The, the milk comes, we haul it across the yard a couple hundred feet, and uh, we're able to use single source right from our own farm with all the benefits of that. Our, our nutritional program, how we care for the land, all of that has an impact on you know what makes our cheese and our final products so special. Um, from a regulatory standpoint and, and from how the dairy industry works in Canada, we report as a processing plant that we've bought that milk, we test it, we act exactly like any other processor in any other region, whether they're getting milk called to them from uh, a group of producers or from a single source. So all of our billing is done uh, actually through Canadian Dairy um, and, and subject to all of the categories and pricing, depending on what we use the milk for. So if we make a different types of cheese, we literally report exactly what those leaders were used for um, butter and they all have different pricing scheme so it's an interesting business model on the on the process side on the cheese side because um decisions are you know it's it's very different i don't have um there's other there's other things on it so yes we do uh purchase through the pool Brittany, how i want to talk about climate change and i'm sure that each of the three of you are going to have different interpretations or different applications of, of what this means but but people in cities care about climate change uh, farmers and producers care about climate change. Residents of rural communities care, um, but maybe have different perspectives on the best way to address it, et cetera. How does, how does awareness of climate change impact your research, Brittany? And, and what's your bigger perspective with regards to, you know, its application to conversations like these? Yes, we actually just had a, an event last week where we had um, two researchers uh, present on um you know, the effects of climate change on our crops. And so we're going to have increased temperatures and we're not going to have more moisture. And so this is a fact coming to egg that we need to be able to adapt to these changes within the climate. And um, I, I will say, I don't know a lot of like the nitty gritty to like the policies and, and how um, different government and how like the carbon tax, for instance, I don't know a lot of information on that, uh, but I can speak on that farmers, they know they need the environment to grow the crops. And so um, this is a new challenge, maybe not a new challenge, but this is a very daunting challenge, um, changing our practices 
Um, and we are already very, I'd say, environmentally friendly, but taking the next step to becoming more environmentally friendly, um, not only is it daunting, it's costly, and it's just a big change, but farmers also realize that it needs to happen. So um, the, trans- the transition period, I'd say, is is very critical. Well, and Sean, I mean, uh, Brittany uh, shows courage there in, in, in dropping those two words, carbon tax. Uh, because I, I know <laughs> I, I even think I don't have to go too far. My cousin, Corey, uh, who, who Jeff knows well, sent me one of his one of his utility bills, uh, I think, after they had been drying some grain last year. And he was like, you want to know why why some producers are so are so ticked off about the carbon tax? Here's why. And he had had that line circled there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when we talk about climate change in the environment, uh, I mean, I'm asking you such a broad question. But what's your perspective on it as someone who has a pulpit? Well, I, I think farmers and ranchers across this country are 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 concerned about the environment. They are they are people that are concerned about the impacts of climate change. How we tackle it, though, is is really under dispute. And, and this federal government, obviously, climate's very important to them. Uh, but the reality is is that they have taken the stick approach instead of a carrot. And the tax is an easy way to tackle it. I think I, I would argue that it's it's rather ineffective, especially when it comes to industries like agriculture, where there isn't a substitute, right? I, I, farmers are trying to cut costs all the time when it comes to the input side. So they just don't burn fuel for the sake of burning fuel. They just don't dry grain because they're looking for something to do in November. Uh, these are actual hard costs. And the grain drying is a good example where, you know, in Ontario, where grain drying for corn is is really a must. You're looking at people at this new carbon tax they're talking about at they're talking about by 2030 being $170 a ton. We're, we're looking at something between, you know, maybe 40 to 50 bucks an acre in cost. It's 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 unreasonable. And the, the federal government has been very unwilling at all to bend and provide exemptions to farmers in the areas where there isn't a substitute activity to 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 really kind of reduce some of those uh, those uh, that carbon output. And uh, the government's not really not listening to agriculture on this one at all. And it is it's quite ideological in in the way they've gone about it. And farmers, to be quite honest, across the country are very, very upset about the carbon tax because of the cost load it is going to put onto their shoulders. They're paying they're paying the tax and then individual citizens are going to get the rebate checks. It, it, it's some argue it's, it's pretty much a wealth transfer. So just to add on to some of the numbers. So if it is a $50 cost per acre, that is 100 percent of the profit in a lot of cases and sometimes more than that. So there's not that many dollars uh, in operating a grain farm. I think the other side of it is that agriculture is starting to be viewed and there's a lot of people out there that um, are, are looking into how agriculture is actually the solution. And whether it's the grasslands and the bee farmers who are out there and that's part of the uh, ecosystem and sequestering carbon in the ground and measuring, not just relative to where we were, but the fact that it is a, probably one of the largest potential carbon sinks out there and, and, and as in agriculture, not getting credit, we run a compost project, we get more efficient because we have to be from an economic standpoint. And now we're being looked at as, you know, no credit for what we've done at an environmental viewpoint and in the carbon world, but just piling on more cost, which is we've already, we've already made the adjustments. We've already got more efficient because we'd be out of business. And now they're taking and piling on more costs, which put us in that position again of being cash flow negative. Okay, so let me ask you this. So Kim says, so hang on. So a carbon tax is good, but it's not properly thought out. 
uh, with regards to the industry. Would anyone agree with that assessment? I mean, you know, what if you were to I know Brittany said you don't really want to get into policy uh, unless you do, unless you change your mind. But but Sean or or Jeff, I mean, do you do you have what you think if you were if you were tapped on the shoulder and named agriculture minister right now? Sean, would you have an idea on on what you might replace that or how you might tweak the carbon tax or what you might do to to make, you know, a meaningful impact on 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 man's impact, a humankind's impact on, on climate change? Uh, while at the same time keeping farming as a potentially profitable enterprise, I think we have to we have really have to invest in the the innovation side. We have to find technologies and and bring innovations to commercialization that uh, that allow industries like agriculture to reduce their carbon footprint, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Just penalizing with a cost doesn't make any sense to me. You're not deterring anybody from anything. You're, you're just basically adding taxes onto an industry. So I believe more in the let's let's work on funding innovations and providing you know, we're, we're looking for industries in Alberta, right? With the oil and gas really, really struggling. We can't get pipelines built. You know, this is an area where we really, really should be in investing because at the in the long run, those are the technologies that we need to to fight climate change, not just punishing our Canadian citizens with another tax. So I, I think as a producer, where we're at, how we've always done things and how we've adapted is about to get a huge shakeup. And, it, and there's evidence of it out there. And I don't know if this will grab and, and the conversation will continue or if this is an endpoint of it. But, you know, in the last few months, you have huge players out there that are investing in agriculture and they're not going to sit with the status quo. Bill Gates is the largest landholder in the U.S., obviously probably North America right now. He's not investing in land because, uh, you know, I, I would think as a side project, he wants, he, he believes there's a play there where it probably fits into a larger environmental um, ideas that he has. And he's looking for how that's going to get sh- uh, shaken up and, and how things are going to be operated. And in Canada, it's not new. Like, how farms are owned and how they're operated. So we're talking about producers executing at the same time that we're having massive investments. Telus just uh, bought a company that's involved in technology and data-driven decisions and, uh, and, and heavily looking to agriculture and putting their stamp on it and, and delivering us, you know, information that can probably help us make decisions. Um, I imagine that's the goal that it's going to have benefits for the environment as well. Um, I better I better read uh, a tweet. I'm taking a look at the Real Talk RJ hashtag and and Jeff, your partner in life and your partner on the farm is tweeting at us live here. So I better read Coralie's tweet. Uh, I was, was going to try to see how to fit that in. Ryan, so I'm <laughs> yeah, jumping well, in I got you covered because if we ignore Thanks, her, Bob. that's your problem. Um, Coralie, <laughs> Coralie says, uh, to be clear, there are no antibiotics in any meat. There's a withdrawal time frame before butchering or milk. Uh, she says any cows being treated, uh, the milk is diverted to a different tank or disposed of. It's also illegal in Canada to use hormones to increase milk production. Um, so she is, yeah, hundred hundred percent. And I guess it's missed by me because it is second. Those are just no fly zones, right? And, right. And in the GMO world, same thing. Like any herbicides we use, any technology we use, the residual is a huge component of that product being registered and how we farm and, and how our trading partners. Um, uh, in, in the end, engage with us and allow us to, you know, provide them with food. I mean, there's, there's just, there's no residual. I think Brittany can speak to that on the GMO and, and the regulatory side of things, maybe with that product that um, the technology's there, but there's, there's things in place to make sure that it's safe. 
Uh, I want to ask the three of you about the future of agriculture and what that looks like post COVID as well as with the Biden administration. Uh, very quickly, they'll want to take a look at the hashtag uh, Real Tuck RJ powered by Park Power. Uh, Barry Fearnley's watching this morning. Barry tweets from the goat barn. He says if people expect everyone to believe in vaccine science, they should also believe in food science. Uh, that from Barry Fearnley. Appreciate Barry chiming in. Of course, as mentioned, our hashtag is powered by the team at Park Power. Uh, since 2013, Park Power has been operating right here in Alberta, providing electricity, natural gas and Internet. Yeah, even to rural communities. And right now they want your business so much so that they've got a promo code that when you swing by parkpower.ca, whether it's a big farming operation, uh, whether it's a commercial operation here in one of the urban centers or whether it's your own residence, if you use the promo code 2021-realtalk at parkpower.ca they're going to give you 70 bucks 70 dollars off your first bill at parkpower.ca we're also very proud to be uh, partnering with dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park i'll retweet this later because i want to make a comment on it but but i love this photo that's that's just been sent in to us uh, one of our audience members i'm not going to spoil the surprise i'm going to show you later in the day he says this is my first dilly bar in 20 years and he's just hammering down on this thing dilly bars box Boxes of six are two for one right now at Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. But you got to tell them you're a real talker. Bring two of those Dilly Bar boxes up to the till. Let them know that you watch Real Talk or you check out the podcast later in the day and they'll give you that two for one deal. Our thanks to the team at DQ. Uh, Brittany Hennig, Sean Haney and Jeff None are our ag panelists this morning. We're grateful to have them here. And I want to leave the question general on purpose. Uh, Brittany, when we take a look at the future of agriculture, whether it's the future of science, uh, whether it's uh, relations, the economic and trade relationship between Canada and the U.S., uh, whether it's coming out of COVID uh, in a healthy direction. What's one thing that's on your radar, either as an area of concern or or maybe something you're optimistic or excited about when you look to the future of where this industry is going? Okay, so as much as I'd like to talk positively, um, I'm uh, what I'm really concerned about for the industry is regulations on um the use of, of our technology, whether that's, we see it in Mexico, the removal of GM uh, corn is it, uh, phasing that out. We see the removal of different pesticides uh, from the market. And I think ultimately we need to look at other countries and maybe learn from their actions and, and implement those into our system. And, you know, when we look at the EU and the UK specifically, and again, canola is more of my wheelhouse. Uh, we look at insects that you know, when we ban insecticides, we place heavier usage on other pesticides. Um, and then that causes resistance to pop up to these insecticides that were once working, but aren't. And so uh, specifically in the UK, there's um, there's areas that cannot grow oilseed rape anymore, which is canola, uh, just a different name for them over there. Um, and they can actually grow it because of such horrible insect issues with the cabbage uh, stem flea beetle, and they can't use actual um, the the insecticides that work on them. Uh, across the EU, there's a pollen beetle that's devastating oilseed rape crops, um, huge resistance to pyrethroids that are available to them, but they cannot use, and I guess the chemical I'm talking about is neonicotinoids. Um, those have been banned. And these are um, insecticides that, you know, farmers don't like to use. Like, it's not like they go and they spray it on every acre with every pass. Uh, not only are they expensive, but it's just insecticides are not something that we want to use. We we um, not only destroy the pests that we're after, but also the beneficials around us. Um, so, 
Yeah, and especially in Western Canada, we use neonicotinoids um, on our seed treatment, so below ground. Um, specifically in Alberta, we haven't seen any negative effects of neonicotinoids on, on the bee population specifically, which is a pretty hot topic. But that is one chemical that is, um, yeah, under threat, and it's a huge, um, basically, resource for us. Sean, is so, that right. <laughs> Ryan? Put it this way: like what Brittany brings up is a really good point. You you create regulations so strict in your domestic market that you're essentially forced to import the product from other places around the world, and that's what's happened with winter rapeseed. And they have had uh, some a couple years of of poor growing conditions as well. But Canada has done very good business exporting canola into the EU specifically be, because of the fact their restrictions are just so strong domestically. I think it's word to the wise in Canada, pay attention to those kinds of strong regulations that really hurt uh, your own domestic agricultural industry. I, I wish I am not doing justice to the Real Talk live chat right now. It's its own animal this morning, which is amazing. Some of the comments on here. Uh, Unseen Stranger says, OK, so we need to find other methods of pest control, like avoiding monoculture crops or using natural predators or something else. Uh, are they on to something? Well, that's the beneficial insects that Brittany was just talking about. Those are some of the things that farmers are really, really paying attention to in terms of the time when when they are applying those kinds of insecticide products to make sure they are they are not hurting and damaging some of the beneficial insects that are working inside that canopy for free for for farmers and really paying attention to the ecosystem. That stuff is happening now. Okay, so Sean, let me ask you the same question I asked Brittany. Generally, when it comes to the future of agriculture, uh, obviously the immediate future will be what does it look like post-pandemic? What what sort of shakeups has the industry seen? How do we recover? How do we support our producers? Uh, and then another big one, obviously, there's a new resident in the Oval Office. And, and what does that mean for trade? Uh, Joe Biden will promise his own approach to America first, which will be different than Donald Trump's, but will still, I'm sure, have implications. What does the future of ag look like through your lens? Yeah, so let's let's start with the Biden administration. So I, I wrote back in September that w really, really wondering if uh, Democrats in the U.S. were pulling the wool over the eyes of Canadians. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, former president, had had very, very poor approval ratings in, in Canada. He really only made one visit. It was part of the G7 summit. He really did not make an official visit to Canada because of some of that low rating. Um, and and I, I, I wonder if the, the Biden administration will be as friendly to Canada as people are, are perceiving. There was a lot of Canadians cheering for Biden to win the presidency, but that's because they were so anti-Trump. And, and listen, let's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be, to be negative on the Trump file from a Canadian perspective. What, what have we seen the last week? No surprise, Keystone, you've been covering that. You know, Keystone canceled. We've also got talk about uh, some of the things happening with this Buy America campaign when it comes to go U.S. government procurement contracts. There's gonna be some challenges under the USMCA uh, that, that have to do with that. We're not off to a great start, but the reality is, is that Biden provides Trudeau a total cover on climate policy. So they had to be somewhat measured when our biggest trading partner was uh, the Trump administration. Now they are lock and step when it comes to environmental policy with with Biden's administration. And so this is really a free wheel now. These are two governments that are going to really try to outdo each other. Who is who's doing more about the climate? And it's going to be like this, like going up like this. We're going to hear start to hear things about carbon tariffs, carbon adjustments, uh, where we're basically putting taxes on products coming into the country that maybe don't have the same climate policies as we do. So I think that's one of the 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 big changes here is that uh, Biden gives. 
Trudeau cover on climate policy. I want to I want to point out uh, <clears throat> a, a very important uh, contribution to this discussion on our on our live chat from Shane Pelche, who asks, uh, Jeff, I'm not sure as a, as a as a producer yourself, as a dairy farmer, do you know what you call a cow with no legs? Nope. Ground beef. Ground beef, Brittany. Uh, that's two points for you, Brittany. Uh, ground beef. Well, Jeff, what? I, I, I was. My mind was my mind was teeing up uh, this question that you're about to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, hey, the future of ag three. I mean, has has COVID nineteen. Um, you, I feel like your your farm, as mentioned, has you've encountered adversity over the past number of years. You've also bounced back in a big way. You've expanded uh, with a really bold spirit. Um, what impact has the pandemic had on your operation, if anything? Well, right out of the gate in the spring when everything was shut down, it impacted our farm. From what I'm gathering around the potato world, probably a little bit harder just based on where I had contracts and how I was set up. Like we we had a three hundred thousand dollars of seed potatoes that. Um, were sold, were in heavy demand and ended up in a compost pile and at a, at a neighbor's cattle feedlot with absolutely no uh, compensation whatsoever for it. So that was a big kick in the teeth, uh, along with all the uncertainty of COVID early on. And that ripples out still. You're seeing, you know, as things settle and consumers' patterns are somewhat stabilized through the, through the restrictions, um, some of that's coming back. So we're heading into that spring shipping season again and uh it looks positive that you know that's not going to be something that gets hit um commodity markets are on fire i started with that early on uh building on what Brittany and what was with uh sean mentioned it's going to be really important as we move forward with canadian agriculture that the restrictions put on canadian producers and the regulations piled onto us are somehow accounted for when it comes to international trade not just reducing what we can produce at home and, and having us import it, but how we stack up. Uh, the, the minimum wage debate in the U.S. right now is, is important in their costs and when you compare our competitiveness. Some of these trade deals that were done uh, you know, with, with the Trump administration and the leverage that Biden's going to have to uh, take advantage of those while at the same time pushing his own Buy America first. The, the relationships that the U.S. has um, I was reading this morning about their alliance with Japan and, and poking a stick at China and the opportunity that we're going to have to maybe focus outside of our trading relationship with the U.S. into these other countries and what that means, because China is going to have a different set of rules as far as what they're going to allow from a regulatory standpoint for us to use when it comes to GMOs. I know um, I traveled there a few years ago and, and met up with a a uh, friend that I'd met in the potato industry, he was doing some consulting work. He was a Chinese uh, uh, national and they were specifically approving certain strains of GMO corn and not others. And it gets really intricate. And if, if they're needing to buy in, in the commodity world, like they are in the last few months, um, it's a wild ride and trying to make sure that producers can take advantage of it. It's one thing to say canola is $16 a bushel. And to put that into context, most guys were selling it at $10 when they were growing the crop uh, less than a year ago. But you have to understand that the reason it's at 16 is because there's none there. So producers aren't able to take advantage of, of the current situation. And it points out and highlights to me how precarious food supply is on the macro scale, a small ripple. And you're talking about that jumping through the roof and tying that into your your uh, your news segment on on this uh, game stock thing, yeah, it's not producers that are making it. It's literally, I've made money in the last month hedging and buying back 
speculating on canola that I had previously sold because I felt it was going to go up. And I think the majority of the push up right now is in that world. And how do you make sure that producers are healthy in this environment, uh, not just the people on Wall Street or the people driving this thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it'd be a bit of a wake up call to some people to, to hear from a producer like yourself that the one way that you've been able to turn a profit lately, I don't mean to mischaracterize what you're saying, but it is but to play the markets. That's not what we envision a producer doing to be able to be financially viable. Well, and I don't, different producers in different ways. And it, it's being able to physically sell my crop, yet maybe dabble back and forth in where this market's going and try to try to leverage so that I can participate in it while still running the farm. And to be clear, my most success in, in that space is making sure that I stick to um, to, to more of a, of a hedge strategy than a speculation strategy because I just can't afford to take the big hits. But if I sell a thousand tons of canola for me to buy back a thousand tons on paper and to dabble in that has, um, has helped a little bit. It helps me understand the markets and maybe make better decisions for my farm moving forward. It's not a space that a lot of people are comfortable to be in and shouldn't be because it is a ruthless, uh, ruthless place to operate because you're a small player in a very, very big game. Let's uh, Jeff, Brittany and Sean, I want to I want to actually just kind of run through. Like I said, our live chat is out of control in the best way right now. Um, so there's no way we can do justice to all the comments and questions. But why don't I throw a few out at ra- I'm just watching it right now at random. And I'd love to give each of you a chance. This will essentially be your. This sounds very, very fine. I was going to say your final statement here, but we've asked you for an hour of your time. I know I know each of you have other things to do. Heck, heck, Sean's got to go prep for a show. Uh, Brittany's got to figure out she's got to get back into the lab. And of course, no has got a farm to run. So how about this from Hope? Hope says, I would love to see this might be what Jeff wants to take on in just a minute. Hope says, I would love to see dairy farmers start to put out more interesting products. There's something like a 300 percent tariff to bring in cheese from France. I want higher fat butter and cream. Uh, uh, Jeff, I could talk for five minutes about your cream, but um, you, you, we made it. We made an Alfredo sauce with with lakes. Anyway, I, I don't even get me started. Prawns and it was out of control. Um, but that's not the point. And I don't need the microphone here. You guys do. Uh, another says, you know, Helen says, I, I, I vote for purchasing directly from ranchers. Uh, several around here will do this. Valerie makes a great point, says there's a large element of our population that cannot afford higher priced protein. You know, you got to feed our population. You've got to give people choice for what they can afford and allow them to find value. Uh, many are, are talking about alternative, you know, wondering about things like using solar for drying grain or alternative ways of powering farm. People are talking about uh, that approach. Uh, many are talking about, heck, we haven't even got into the health of producers, some of the health effects. We could talk about mental health in farming, which I promise our audience we will do at some point because it, it's a very real area that, that demands focus. Uh, Two Beaver says agriculture needs to do what Jesperson did. This is interesting. Get rid of millions of dollars worth of infrastructure and get back to the basics. I know we've just put a lot in front of you. Uh, Sean, what jumped out at you there? I'm curious what back to the basics looks like. Um, I, I get the, the the comparison, I guess, but uh, I, I think agriculture really has, you know, as I look through the group chat, there's a lot of really uh, positive comments. Of course, there are ones that are very critical of the industry. Clearly, you know, from an ag, ag comp standpoint, our work is not done to make sure that people understand, honestly, some of the things that are happening now, because they're very, very positive in nature and i think a lot of people are being critical in the chat or out in the consumer or in just 
the world of mainstream would really be surprised on some of the stuff that is actually happening on farms today when it comes to uh, per- preserving the climate, when it comes to uh, you know managing beneficial insects, as we talked about before. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about some of the things that are really Jeff is doing on his farm today. Not, not five years from now, not 10 years from now, but today. And I think that is really missed on a lot of people. Brittany, what do you, what do you want to leave us with? Was there a comment there that jumped out at you? Or is there something we didn't touch on today that you want to make sure that the audience has a, has a chance to chew on, so to speak? Um, I, I would just like to say that, um, and, and we can only cover so much in this discussion, but to keep the conversation going and not be so um, scared of our food and, and don't think that you always have to buy um, the non-GMO organic substitute that's way more expensive. I mean, if you like it, if you if the taste of it is great, awesome, but like nutritionally do not feel bad for consuming conventional produced um, food. I mean, it's, it's just as nutritional, it's just as healthy. And don't let fear, um, I guess, guide your decisions. Uh, reach out, like I said, have the discussions and uh, know that farmers are very smart. And a lot of them go to post-secondary education. Like this is, they go to conferences um, back to back to back uh, to learn more about how to be um, produce higher quality and higher quantity of food. Um, this is food that they feed their families. And uh, I just want you know, the population as a whole to be confident in the Canadian uh, food industry, egg industry. Hey, hey Ryan, I, I encourage people to be curious, right? So a, a lot of times people are jumping to some sort of conclusion based on what Jenny McCarthy told, you know, said on TV or what Dr. Oz says, instead of using them as your sources, be curious and actually talk to people that are working in the industry. And I think you're going to be somewhat surprised at what you find out. Love it. Jeff, we'll give you last word. You obviously have to touch on that one comment from the one audience member that wants to see more creativity in the dairy market, because that's exactly what you're doing. But but what do you want to leave us with today? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll try and hit two really quick um, and, and tie it all in around there is innovation. I mean, obviously, our farm and, and our project here with having a cheesemaker and, and developing that is uh, evidence of, of that exact uh, notion. Of being of having more innovation, I think to Brittany's point, and and to kind of bring up a, a little bit of a stat there, 35, 40 percent food waste. So, yes, cost of food is important, but if consumers are um, a little bit more deliberate about making selections around quality and uh, and paying attention to the quantity that they're consuming, so you can get a higher quality product and an appropriate quantity of it. And, and really, your spend isn't any bigger, but make sure that you're being efficient with your decisions and, and uh, treat yourself to something that's maybe seems expensive on a per unit cost, but uh, cut back on the waste. Um, I think in agriculture, and it, and it didn't quite hit the show, and, and uh, I know I'm going to be back to talk about it more, Ryan, um, on collaborative efforts and uh, some of the pressures that are out there for uh, agriculture to do things on the, uh, on the farm safety front. Um, where I think we can get together as a group and, and really dig into what society wants us to be doing on the farm. But at the same time, with a lot of the conversation this morning, there's so much on producers' plates. How do we do that in a way that we're not downloading this onto producers and where the industry can really standardize things and take a little bit of pressure off of uh, the producer? 
Jeff Noni of uh, Lakeside Farmstead encourage you to follow them on on Instagram. And of course, you have to try the beef and the cheese. Uh, Brittany Hennig, a, a crop scientist and agricultural researcher, and, and Sean Haney, the founder of Real Agriculture, who will be on air today. Right, Sean, on, on Sirius XM, uh, Rural Radio Channel 147, 230 Mountain, 430 Eastern. Is that right? Absolutely. You can download the podcast as well. It's on uh, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts and any any of your favorite Android podcatchers. So everybody Love check it. it out if you want to learn something about agriculture. Fantastic. If, if any, I mean, we've accomplished a lot here. Uh, we've learned more about what Brittany's studying, what Jeff's doing, what Sean's talking about and what his listeners are concerned about. But but if anything else, we've blown the doors off the conversation. This I'm just watching this real chat and realizing we could we could do this once a week. Um, and and, and uh, it means a lot that the three of you cleared an hour out of your schedules for this. So thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Good to be back, right? There you so go. Much. That's Brittany Hennig, uh, Sean Haney, and Jeff Noney. Um, you can let me know what you think about this. I'm. I, can I say I'm proud of you all? This is great. With regards to Sam, I mean, you're keeping an eye on the on on the live chat as well. Some of the points being made on there. Uh, so I'm, I'm. I have a sort of uh, you know chicken scratch. This is what my paper looks like after a, after a, this. And by the way, both sides we're doing everything we can. And did you see? I I I don't. I'm not ready to announce this yet. I should not announce. Well, now you're going to go. Well, don't be that guy. We have a potential dance partner that has an amazing idea on how real talk can go carbon neutral. And I absolutely love the idea. Yes, I cannot provide details at this moment. I do, too. However, I'm very excited because it's not I'm not going to hide for anybody that we're using paper here. Uh, We try to be as paper free as possible, but I have a difficult time staying organized. And so we're going to find a way to go carbon neutral. But I've just I've just been scribbling down notes. Yes. From what our three panelists were saying. But real talk is from what you're saying as well. I'm going. That's a segment idea. That's a segment idea. I love it. I think I'm uh, on to page seven of notes. Today. Page seven. Is, uh, yeah, it was quite the talk. Yeah. Like Wigwith didn't get a shout out yet. Wigwith has been a, a regular contributor through this conversation, said it's a good conversation that Alberta needs to have how we feed ourselves. I love this from Fatima it says real talk is going to force me to learn about ag. I love that. That's fantastic. Another says, uh, I mean, just. <laughs> Kim, this chat was so good. You really want to get me going on? You really want to get me going on cheese puns? What was cow puns and then pig puns and then cheese puns? Yeah, there was like, a lot there's going been quite on. the evolution. There was a lot going on. And, and I didn't even acknowledge yesterday because the, the live chat is its own animal. I always wonder for folks that are, you know, the, the majority of our audience numbers wise uh, checks out Real Talk later in the day by way of the podcast. That's the for now. That's the that's kind of the bit. And I always wonder how many of them while they're walking their dogs or whatever are also going to the YouTube because there's so much going on in the live chat here. Uh, it's, but yesterday was a big thing about raisins. Did you see this? We didn't even the the, the live. Is, do we need to have a separate? We need to call you the live chatters or something. There needs to be like a the chatterbox. Let's it call it the chatterbox. The okay, real like talk that. chatterbox. It's officially named chatterbox. Okay. Yep, that works. Yep, and and that's not an insult, everybody. It's a compliment. Uh, but on the chatterbox, everybody was let's talking. Let's check about, in on the chatterbox. Let's check in on the chatterbox. Chatterbox. We could do some cool do stuff. Do I need a sting for that? Can you? Hey, how about that music? That we didn't use for positive reflections, but that we love. Oh, yeah. yeah you know that yeah, other yeah. one? Do you have a hot key for that or would it take some time to find it? Give me like two minutes. Two minutes? Yeah. Okay. Well, it gives me a chance to remind you. Why don't you give me the ad bed in the meantime? Or does that complicate the audio feeds? This guy's so good. Samuel G. Brooks, everybody. All right. Seems like the right time to talk about Eden landscaping. Doesn't it? I mean, they're all about 
planting things that will grow in your yard. Maybe not canola or barley, but you want a beautiful line of birch trees or I'm, I'm already going to run out of creative. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to landscape planning. The good news is they do. They've been doing it for more than 20 years. And if you check out landscapeedmonton.ca, you'll be able to view their work. And what you'll also see there is that Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping, they're not kind of a one trick pony. In other words, not every job that they do is 200 grand, though they can do those big ones. I've seen some photos and not every job is the tiny little flower box either, but they're pretty good at those too. So these days when it's cold out and it feels like the middle of winter and we know that you're looking out your window and dreaming of what your yard might look like, now's a great time to get in touch with them at landscapeedmonton.ca. They can use Google Earth to check out your property. They don't even have to, you know, in-person meetings are kind of not a thing right now. It doesn't mean they're not hard at work. You can check out Eden Landscaping under the Sponsors tab on our website. That's also where you'll find the team at Alta Moving and Storage. Their big thing are these pod-style containers. So gone are the days. I remember as a kid when we would move houses, the moving truck pulls up, and whatever stress you were already feeling just goes up, like, by 10 times, right? Because the truck's here. We got to go. Not with these pod style containers. They drop them off at your leisure, at your pace, when you're ready. You get them all filled up or you can hire someone. They can send movers your way as well. They bring it to the new location at your convenience. You get it unloaded. They're happy and proud to work with you at Alta Moving and Storage. And of course, as the name would imply, long and short term storage solutions as well. We know a lot of you are trying to declutter, but there's things you're not quite ready to give away yet. Alta Moving and Storage has your solution. Our thanks to the Real Talk Builders. Did you track down this tune? Do you want to check in on the chatterbox? Well, because I'm curious to see what the chatterbox is going to have to say about this. Uh, it's not. Now, now, am I throwing you a loop? Right? Oh, Pretty yeah, good. Can you, can you give me a little more? Can you bring it up a little bit so it's like a little louder? Yeah, we, yeah, we were When we were picking out positive reflection music, there was a lot of dancing in the studio. We thought that this would and be we, a good... And we went back and forth between the two songs, what, like 20 times? We did. Yeah. Do you have... Can, can we switch to the actual positive reflections music? And we'll see what they're saying on the chatter. What do they like? Here's the, here's the real one. See, this is kind of like... It has the positive reflections vibe, doesn't it? Are you saying we should, we should workshop all of our segment music live on the air from now on? Well, yeah, because like Epiphanies of Tiffany is like, yeah, Two Beaver likes it. Epiphanies of Tiffany cannot, she can't make up her mind. Hope says that's groovy. I agree this is better for positive reflections, but we put a pin in that other song saying we're going to need it for something. So maybe we need it for emails. So so maybe what we'll do is we'll sell a sponsorship for our inbox, and then that'll give us it. Because we go back to the other music, it'll give us a chance to... Because, you know, this is such a good tune, right? If I throw to this, if I say, hey, I say it's time to check our fill-in-the-blank inbox, this is a spot. Yeah. Like if your life were to have uh, some sort of a soundtrack. Yep. I, I just want it so loud in my ear. I just want it loud. I always want it louder. I always want it turned up. Thanks. I just turned it up in your head. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like pounding. And, and guess how loud your laugh is in my headphones. Oh, God. <laughs> this is like, this would be the soundtrack to your life if you just got your hair cut. Or if you just like, I'm speaking this is from strutting down the street music. This is like you just yeah. you just got a newly tailored suit, and you put it on, and you stepped out onto the sidewalk, and the sun's hitting your face, 
This is how Sam and I, this is what we do. This is literally what we do from like 1030 until about noon. We just groove in the Real Talk studio. <laughs> I love this. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Megan says that jazzy tune is going to be so- perfect for something. Yeah, absolutely. Trevor says this is the best part of the show so far. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Um, hey, we've not we've not seen uh, we've not seen a ton of action because there's a lot going on. But I wanted to remind you, Cameron Hughes, that joined us yesterday, the king of cheer, donated uh, an Edmonton Oilers sweater. Now, I know a lot of you, based on where you're watching from, are probably like Leafs and Canucks and Flames fans. And, and maybe you don't want anything to do with this sweater. Um, but for those of you that are big oil fans, you're, you're watching from oil country. Um, Cameron's going to sign that as the king of cheer. I'm going to sign it, too, uh, just because that's what the deal was, not because I think everybody wants to be signing their hockey sweaters. Cameron's going to throw in a sign copy of his new book king of cheer and i'm going to throw in a vintage collector mug with my mug on it and all of the money is going to go to momentum counseling it's it's our way to make a meaningful contribution uh to mental health services here we don't want to just talk about it we want to make sure we talk about it and then walk the talk so right now brandy we're going to leave uh the the bidding open uh in the chatter box for the next uh what's say 10 minutes sam right now 400 dollars is the top bid um every single cent obviously will go to momentum counseling so it's 400 bucks we'll leave it open for another 10 minutes i'd love to see it hit 500 if somebody wants to make that donation and of course, we can set it up so you donate directly to Momentum so you can get the tax receipt and then you just show us your donation receipt. There's nothing shady going on. Uh, and we'll find a way to make that happen. I wanted to get to some comments. Of course, it doesn't make sense for us to have the Real Talk inbox uh, and have, you know, hundreds of you literally every week uh, sending us messages and then not make time to read them. And so you can get in touch with us anytime. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. I wanted to get to, to some of these. This from uh, Submitted Anonymously, which is totally cool. Um, says, uh, well, it wasn't submitted anonymously, but there's been a request for anonymity. How's that? So you know who you are. Thank you for this message. Uh, listener says, I, 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 I just feel compelled to express uh, my gratitude for some of the conversations that we hear on Real Talk. My husband is a firefighter and he's been acting district chief for the last several weeks and he sees firsthand how many firefighters have been affected, isolated, and quarantined over the holidays, unable to see any of their family members. Just prior to Christmas, as a matter of fact, my husband was back as a captain in the hall and was exposed to COVID uh, during one of their calls. Now, I'm a nurse, and my background is NICU, so neonatal ICU and ER, and currently I'm working as a transplant coordinator at the U of A. Is this maybe like the most important couple for our collective human survival? Quite possibly. A, a, a NICU nurse and a firefighter? Uh, I think maybe um, says so I'm a transplant coordinator at U of A. I've spent months holding the hands of those that are dying because family members aren't allowed in. Let me read that again. I've spent months holding the hands of people dying because their family members aren't allowed in. All of this is happening while we're trying to keep our own family safe. We've done everything right, including have a having a decontam uh, area, a decon area in our garage. Uh, We had contingency plans in place. If one of us had to isolate, we followed all the rules. But what we didn't anticipate by the time we knew that anything was wrong, that it would be too late. We were all exposed. Our whole family had COVID. We brought this home to our kids because we haven't yet received the vaccine. And we proudly work the front lines every day. So thank you, real talkers, says this listener. We can't thank you enough, actually, for these conversations Uh, We're supporting everything that you're doing on this show, Ryan, and we cheered loudly when you unveiled Real Talk. Uh, Thanks for 
bringing this voice and, and making yourself impossible to ignore. That is an incredible email and a thank you for that. I always want our audience to be aware of who's watching, who's listening, who makes up our community. It, it, it's obviously very evident in the Real Talk chatterbox, that's for sure. Um, but these messages are so enlightening. I wanted to get into this from Celine, who, who in true Canadian fashion wrote us yesterday and, and started with a massive apology. Like, sorry for what I'm about to say. Sorry if I'm off base. Sorry if I offend anybody. I wrote Celine back and I said, no, 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 no. I said, this, this is a great email. This is, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I read this about the yesterday. JPL. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say, like, to put my cards on the table, I've been a promotional partner of the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge proudly for many years. And I currently am a proud promotional partner of theirs. But this is real talk. And I'm happy to read this email because it's what some people are feeling about the news that, you know, some uh, reservations were canceled there. Uh, many reservations were canceled because for nine weeks, a television production is going to touch down. I don't think that the Fairmont has, has actually confirmed that it's the Bachelorette that's taping there. But others are saying that it's been confirmed either through the production house or whatever the case may be. I can't remember if the JPL's officially confirmed it. Let's get to Celine's email. ABC has. ABC has confirmed it. Yes. Okay. Thanks. From, what I, from what I understand, ABC has confirmed. Okay. There you go. Um, Celine says, I'm really into... How, how Real Talk's already got so many different perspectives and doesn't shy away from discomfort. And we promise you that we won't. Um, says, I, I don't want to sound like an ass, but please consider a perspective from a born and raised Jasperite. Okay, Celine, born and raised in Jasper. Uh, says, I watched your piece discussing the potential of The Bachelorette filming in Jasper. My grandparents, my uncles and aunts and parents still live there. I was born in that hospital. My high school grad was at the JPL, and I used to visit almost every weekend when I could before COVID. Um, we have family-owned businesses that are struggling with so many travel restrictions, and we've been uh, active communication members for, for more than 60 years, as most people in Jasper are. Uh, JPL relies a lot on community relations and local support in the off-season. Uh, bachelorette or not, there are many members of the community who really were not thrilled with this situation, mostly due to the pandemic. You know, there's COVID outbreaks and, and there's been some some severe cases in the in the long term care facilities and in hospices. And Jasper has worked really hard to create guidelines and regulations to flatten the curve for, for the last almost year. So for a community that, that prides itself on equity and inclusion and is a destination with unsurpassed beauty for everybody to share, you know, we hold the JPL at the core of hospitality. So it was really disappointing to hear of all the cancellations of all the reservations, especially on short notice. Celine says, I, I assume that a previous location for filming must have backed out. She's, I don't know. She says to book for such an extended period of time, just a month out seems quick, but I'm not an expert. It's also concerning for many locals, my family included, that there doesn't appear to be guidelines in place yet. Um, it says, I understand that this is a massive branding opportunity and it's a great chance to showcase the JPL's beauty. Uh, Celine says, I get that you don't say no to something like this, uh, but uh, goes on to say, I'm just mentioning this for consideration of a different perspective. Well, this is the forum for that, Celine. So we appreciate this says it would be it would be great to see what the Fairmont's going to do for the guests that they chose to uproot, particular people that have been saving for a little mental health break, you know, or like a family break out in the beautiful, great outdoors. It would be great to see some of these concerns proactively addressed and addressed. And I do think there's an opportunity for that. Celine says, I guess that's the main issue of equity is that it's not really considered if it doesn't impact you. You know, the bachelorette can buy what it wants and JPL gets what it wants. And, and the equities or inequities usually don't impact those with privilege. Honestly, 
Celine says, it's crazy to me that contestants on a reality dating show can travel for filming and use facilities at a hotel and with a town that's been closed to everybody else and go to a town to visit where, where many locals didn't even get to return to see their families over the holidays. She says, I, I do get it. I get the why. I get it. It's just hard to wrap my mind around how it's happening during a pandemic when so much is so little rather is, is being made available to the public, but so much being made available to a specific and small group of people. Says I, 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 I says I, and and personally, and this is Celine's opinion. We welcome unpopular or maybe popular opinions. She says I also just think the the show is beyond stupid, and I can't believe it's still on the air. Uh, but I acknowledge this is my personal opinion. <laughs> says that's my rant. Maybe COVID is getting to my head. That from Celine. I wrote it back and I said, Celine, we welcome all opinions, and I welcome yours. And this was an interesting one as well. I get that this is a is a topic of great discomfort. Uh, yesterday was Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, it doesn't get more serious than that. Uh, Sam, I sent you those photos. Can you show me the one of, of Premier? You don't have them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm so that's sorry. Okay. No, 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 no. Don't sweat it. Email and I cannot find. Them. You know what? I, I probably did something silly, like didn't hit send or something. But but here's uh, using using the latest technology, Sam. Um, I can just call this up on my screen and, and we can show it to folks here. But but uh, Premier Jason Kenney the other day had had tweeted this out and uh, it was a photo. I'm going to find it here in two seconds. Um, here it is. So can, you can see my screen, right, Sam? Here, this is Premier Jason Kenney uh, using the hashtag We Remember. And the tweet uh, essentially said, here, we'll take a look Um, tomorrow, he said. So that was yesterday on the anniversary of the liberation of the Nazi death and concentration camp at Auschwitz-Birkenau. We will commemorate International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And he used the hashtag and said, we remember the terrible atrocities of the Holocaust so we can truly say never again. And I touched on how how many people. As a matter of fact, it was it was an unrelated tweet from from uh, uh, an audience member by the name of Amy, who had, had written about something that had nothing to do with Jason Kenney, had nothing to do with 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 how people were were replacing the message or the hashtag. Um, and, and I noticed that Amy's profile photo was this, which is what you can see on my screen right now. So people started to 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 replace that hashtag with other signs like, please help. I gambled away $7 billion. Now people are mad at me uh, referencing the premier supporting the Keystone XL pipeline or whatever. And I saw that and I kind of, and I kind of went, because as I told you yesterday, um, people were, were invoking the real talk hashtag and, and, and me and, and, you know, having Jason Kenny hold up signs that said, you know, listen to real talk every day at eight 30. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny in one way. Um, but in another way, I'm going, uh, like, you know, just because of the context, right? Because because Premier was talking about Holocaust Remembrance Day and the photo was being swapped out. And so if you watched or listened to yesterday's show, you know that I said uh, to everybody that, that that's posting these photos, I said, I know you mean no harm. And I said, and I know you probably didn't know the background. And I know I was explaining why I wasn't essentially pushing out your messages and retweeting them and publicly, you know, indicating um that I found them to be amusing because it was heavy subject matter. So I get this interesting message back from Amy from the gal who's, who's profile. And I was trying to, I tried to be careful. I said, I'm not piling on Amy. I said, I, I'm not, I'm not characterizing Amy a certain way. And I don't think that Amy was trying to be malicious. She reaches out and she says, Ryan, I actually caught the segment on that hashtag signs of Jason Kenny that you were talking about. And she says, I just wanted to let you know, I did know what the origin of the photo was. And I just wanted to say that one of the reasons why I found the memes so funny, in other words, other people's 
edits of that photo was how underwhelming Premier Kenny's memorial was. It was as if somebody from the press team noticed the topic was trending on Twitter and they quickly scrawled a hashtag on a blank piece of paper. So even if, says Amy, even if Twitter left the photo alone, the original photo itself isn't really honoring Holocaust survivors. It actually seemed cold and even a bit crass considering how much money the UCP communications team has access to. Amy says, maybe using it as my profile photo is crass. But I just wanted you to know I went into it eyes wide open. I went, OK, I wrote her back. I said, I actually appreciate this. And I said, it's, it's, it's certainly not my role to to characterize you in any way on real talk. And so I appreciate that. She said, yeah, she said, you go ahead. And she said, you go ahead. And um, so I didn't mind actually being mentioned by name at all. She says, you go ahead and feel free to share that with the audience. I thought it was interesting. I thought it, it's, it's actually an interesting thing to think of, like, because, you know, as as I mentioned, this is where I know this is moments like this is when I know we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do on Real Talk because I feel so uncomfortable in this conversation. But that's the whole point. Yeah. Our, audi- ha- our audience appreciates it. They're probably feeling uncomfortable, too. I think we all are. But we're, we're talking through things because we're, we're we, having some real talk. Yeah. And we want to we we want to say we're not afraid of of, uh, of of certain subjects where people go, can you really talk about that? It's kind of what Tom Rackman was talking about earlier today on the show, right? Yeah, I, I actually I mean, this isn't just our show but this is a lot of media properties i i really like programs where people can just kind of think out loud for a bit and sort of work through something and you do that a lot you know what i mean like something sort of comes across your desk and and just like well i mean there's there's a lot of ways that we can look at this and and let's just sort of pick apart this issue a little bit and 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 weigh things a little bit and i think that there's so much demand to get to a conclusion and to get to to get to a you know soundbite hot take that we lose time to just think through ideas. Yeah. And so, like for me personally, this is a type of show I'd much rather consume. Yeah, me as well. Um, you know, James, I'm just gonna read some of these comments. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tee that up and then not read your comments. Um, uh, James says Jason Kenny has no place commemorating the Holocaust. I don't think that's true, but but James says. He runs on a fascist ideology and he's hurt many vulnerable people. Um, Kim says, I felt that the meme was on point because I don't think that Kenny has concern for Holocaust surviving families or the gravity of the concern. He wasn't part of the movement at all. And James says, you know what? I'm not going to hush. He says, I'm going to stand up for H recipients. The premier's hurting them. I'm going to stand up for indigenous people. He's trying to silence them. Uh, Troy said, I didn't Photoshop the sign, but I did remind Kenny to hashtag never forget the pink triangle victims of the Holocaust. Talking about LGBTQ2S plus people, he says, you know, the very same people that Premier spent his life discriminating against. Dylan, um, Dylan says the ask from the Jewish community is to share the message, just the message. Hashtag we remember says we should respect the initiative. And if folks didn't know what it is, we can use this as a learning opportunity that from Dylan. And I appreciate that. I, I will say it's it's it is unfortunate when when a movement, something like Holocaust remembrance is hijacked and infused with politics. That to me is where I go. Eh, right. But I really appreciate what many of you have to say. 
Tracy says, I think it's just people are just upset that Premier seems to not care. And, and when he does things like that sign, it just seems hypocritical. That from Tracy. You can let me know what you think. I mean, these con- I know these conversations continue through the day. As a matter of fact, typically on the air, it, it seems like from time to time, our, our Twitter, our hashtag kind of quiets down a bit. And then after the show, it just gets slammed. And we love that because we know the whole point of this, the whole point of this show is, is, to, is to force us to think about things through the day. And so we'll continue to do this. Um, I almost I almost regret that we have to wrap up the show now because it means that the the chatterbox is going to wind down for the day. Um, It's been amazing to watch today. Um, So, you know, this is just and it's continuing now. I'm just reading it live as we're talking. I want to thank everybody for for the contributions you make to this show. I want to also thank our partners as as we get set to wrap for today. Just a reminder that the team at Kubi Energy sponsors Positive Reflections. Um, We've settled on a music bed for Positive Reflections, but hey, the rest is up to you. What's making you happy? What's making you feel inspired? We've got an amazing contribution here already that I'm going to be reading on Monday from Hassam. Hassam talks about a, a young girl that went missing and and was found in Edmonton. I'm going to save the story for Monday when we get into positive reflections. You can send us your good news stories, your photos, your videos to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Kubi Energy is a Tesla certified solar installer. They only employ journeyman electricians to install your solar project in British Columbia and Alberta. They're headquartered out of Edmonton and Kamloops. And that means that they can take on projects big and small. Uh, I mean, from residential installations all the way up to the big buildings, Kubi Energy has you covered. You can check out kubienergy.ca if you want to link to their website and you can't remember it. Just go to the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. That's also where you'll find St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. 2021 is a huge year for the Jeep lineup. Of course, they've got your best Dodge selection in Alberta as well. This seven-passenger Grand Cherokee coming out this year. Everybody's buzzing about it. And then, of course, the Grand Wagoneer. But if you're looking for trucks, they have the largest inventory of Dodge Ram trucks in the province with 0% financing up to 96 months or discounts up to 17.5. Their website has all the details and you can find that again under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Finally, cleanairclub.ca is where you can make a tangible, meaningful, and immediate step to save money and allow your family to breathe easy. You just fill in the size of furnace filter you need. The next thing you know, they drop them off at your door and they keep you on schedule so those filters are being replaced when you need them to be replaced at cleanairclub.ca. Save money and breathe easy. I love this from Kim. We'll sign off with Kim's message. She says, hey, sending love to those who suffer with mental health issues. We don't need a corporate day to support one another. She goes on to say, specifically, I'm sending love to my Jewish friends today. Thanks for teaching us. This community is something special, isn't it? A reminder, our mental health roundtable is there for you. If you haven't had a chance to watch it or to listen to it yet, just subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast and check it out there. Make sure you tell your friends too. tomorrow is going to be a great show. Don Braid, the columnist, he's not joining us. But he's been writing about how young people are leaving the province, right? How Alberta's got a real problem with that. Our next generation, we're going to talk to three of them. At least one sting. Two say, I'm out. We'll find out why. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.